uh, many of you know, I do not have uh, speaking terms with most microphones, so please bear with me. You'll notice that I am not Chris. He's away on a very important family celebration. How are we doing on the sound there? <clears throat> My name is Henry. I, I'm very humbled uh, and honored to serve with five other guys on your elder team. Thanks for the grace that you extend to us. I'm going to lead off with a few remarks about uh, what we've come to in the last few weeks on the Holy Spirit, and then I'm going to turn it over uh, to Gary for a key element that we haven't uh, quite yet addressed. So this is review mostly for me because I'm sure you all have this down pat. Let's pray. Father, calm our hearts as we review the richness and fullness of the presence ministry in the place of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So key points, the Holy Spirit is God. He glorifies Jesus. He gives us gifts for the common good. They're not about us. And they're not just for us or certain people, they're for everybody. So some of the passages that we've covered recently in terms of review, Jesus endorses the Holy Spirit in John. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. Later on, he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. That's a very comforting thought for me because he helps me remember all your names, which I usually forget. These are explicit references to the Trinity. Jesus, speaking from the Father, endorses the Holy Spirit. In Acts, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the remotest part of the earth. A witness is one who gives testimony to the truth. Jesus also said that the Holy Spirit comes to glorify me, for he will take from mine and will disclose it to you. Romans 8 is a rich chapter on the Spirit. Paul mentions the Spirit over a dozen times, including that he intercedes and prays for us because we really don't know how. So let's welcome the Helper, welcome the Comforter, welcome the Power, welcome the exalting of Jesus, and welcome the manifestations. Paul elaborates more on spiritual gifts than any other biblical writer. I'm going to cover the areas that he addresses specifically. One is in Romans 12. These are spiritual gifts which came from the Father. He says, however, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, each of us is to use them properly. If prophecy in proportion to one's faith, in service, the act of serving, he who teaches in the act of teaching, the one who gives with generosity, one who is in leadership with diligence, and the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. In 1 Corinthians, he addresses the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, which we've talked about, and I'll review again here. There are varieties of gifts, 
but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, and another one the effecting of miracles, another prophecy, another distinguishing of spirits, various kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Key verse here, but the one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Later on in Ephesians, Paul addresses the gifts that come from Jesus. But as each one is one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. These are called the equipping gifts. From non-specific origin in 1 Peter, Peter writes, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. He talks about speaking the actual words of God, serving by the strength that God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified. Highlights over the past month. These are things Chris covered. The Holy Spirit is God. He's given as a helper, a comforter. He's not here to condemn or confuse or cause fear. He dwells in all believers. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, do you not know that you're a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? When he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And for me, this is a powerful address to the way we intercede for others. Because we often ask, God, if you could change that person's behavior or level of commitment or actions to be more like me, well, then I'd be happy. We can't make anybody do anything. But the Holy Spirit can convict, can cause people to change, not me. And then he exalts Jesus. He will glorify me, for he will take from mine. So as part of the triune God, the Holy Spirit has specific ministry and place. The next week, Chris covered objections to understanding the Holy Spirit and the gifts. It's too complicated. I can't figure these things out. What exactly are tongues? Who can distinguish spirits? We've been hurt by past experiences. Somebody once told me that God told them to tell me to do this. And it didn't resonate with me. Why can't God speak to me directly? We've heard a teaching that's too far one way. You can't do that. Or too far the other way. You have to do this. I was confused. Perhaps we're afraid of what might happen if I'm not in control. That's the point. We're not in control. And do we really need to fear the Holy Spirit? 
I want to acknowledge to many, including myself, we've been hurt by well-intended believers trying to guide us. As a new believer, I was torn between two close friends, one who was in the spiritual thinking, God is doing this stuff today camp, and a roommate who I did Bible study with was strongly in, they're over and done. And I was confused. I couldn't reconcile these. I knew and loved both these guys. So I took the easy way. I did nothing. For those of us caught up in that, I pray for healing, for grace, and for understanding. As Chris has often mentioned, we want to look to Scripture to establish our framework and truth in all areas, not our past or hurts or experience. A week later, Chris started covering some of the specific gifts. He called the, uh, uh, the love gifts. And as our elders have studied this, we would see that these are open to all. There's no restrictions on the administration of these gifts. The first was administration, the ability to manage details to free others, like the helmsman of a ship to steer the course. Many of you know that I spent the better part of three years underwater on a submarine winning the Cold War. Thank you very much. <laughs> One of the duties I was assigned to was officer deck and conning officer underway. So in following the captain's night orders and the tactical situation we were in and the rules of the road, I would direct the helmsman and the planesman to keep the submarine on the ordered course in depth. So I'd give the order on the helm. Right 10 degrees rudder, come to new course 045. And he'd answer, right 10 degrees rudder, come to 045. Aye, sir. Ship would start to turn. He'd respond, sir, passing 035, 10 degrees from order course. Very well. Sir, steady on course 045. Very well. I had confidence that he would steer that course and keep us where we were supposed to be, a detail I didn't have to pay attention to. Chris covered this gift of mercy, to feel the compassion and suffering of others. Then helps and service, meeting the needs of others in practical ways. You know, it takes dozens to set up and break down here every morning. Giving and generosity, discerning folks who examine and evaluate needs and act generously. It's not about the amount of money, but the intentional ways they look to see if this ministry is doing kingdom business. These are the silent service stealth ministers in the body. We will likely not know who they are. What an honor to be used by God to reveal his character to others. The manifestation is to reveal. Last week, Chris covered uh, <clears throat> some of the word gifts. He talked about apostleship and made the distinction that the capital A apostles, as we understand it, were the 12 plus Paul who were with Jesus. Uh, the small A apostleship are those who are sent out to do new work, or regional church builders, not limited to paid staff or missionaries. There's the teaching gift to explain and expose the truth of Jesus. While they incur a stricter judgment, they also encourage our action. There's exhortation 
to encourage and confirm. The Holy Spirit comes as a dove, and we can quench, grieve, or resist the Holy Spirit. Exhortation is the opposite. It's welcoming, confirming. Cover the gift of leadership, which is not administration. It's seeing the big picture. In Acts, we have the account where the uh, apostles said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Then they selected seven to carry out the serving of widows. The pastor or shepherd, a deep concern and care for the congregation to walk alongside others. These are like our community leaders who have a care for us portion of our congregation. And then evangelist, to communicate the good news in a divine way. In a future message, Chris will cover what he calls the power gifts, healing, identifying spirits, faith, tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. The gifts are not about us. And I'd like to share one of my favorite verses, if we could put that up. 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Let me recite that again. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. It's that word manifest again. He reveals his character through us. Wouldn't you like to be known as the sweet aroma of the knowledge of God? It would be like walking through a lilac hedgerow at the height of spring. It would just pervade the atmosphere. Before we transition, I'd like to explore some personal examples of gifts. Several of these are people we know who have stood on this stage. This is bonus material. It will not be on the test. Faith. Consider those who take their family to a hostile country, spend a year learning a new language just so they can buy groceries, and then another year learning another new language so they can minister to refugees. That's faith in action. I also know of six ladies who have met regularly, regularly for years to pray for the nation, our community, and family. Faith that this is not time wasted. It's a life invested. Apostolic or apostleship. These are regional church builders sent to do a new work. We have another missionary family who is building businesses and small congregations among the islands where they live. Teacher, they take Jesus' words to Peter seriously. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Details are important. They want to make sure we know them. These are generally emotionally safe and loyal people. Luke, in the Gospels, demonstrated this gift as teacher. A giver, we will likely never know who these are. But as in Chris's message, he had a gentleman that watched him for a year 
before he decided to give because they evaluate the needs. They're the wisest givers, usually very private, not needy. Job was a giver, as was Matthew in the scriptures. Mercy. Consider those who have left a promising career, move across country to care for an aging family member, or take days off work to minister to set up households and tend to the needs of others. They have no enemies. Ruth and Scripture have the gift of mercy. Servants, we can all see what they do. They operate most in the most authority because they don't ask for any of it. They're the porcupine huggers. They stay with the hard cases. Barnabas in the New Testament. Jesus' father, Joseph, are examples. So I'm going to turn it over to Gary, but our review is that Holy Spirit is God. He glorifies Jesus. He gives us for the common good. They're not for us. Okay, true confession. This is all a setup. Life is pretty attractive when the Holy Spirit's in my corner, on my side, my helper, my comforter, my power, my gifts. What's not to like? Well, what's not to like is we're missing a key element in our understanding. Please welcome our fellow elder Gary for a conclusion. this is working. Yes, it is working. I, I, I feel embarrassed for the people that come up here and use the mics and they're talking like Angela this morning. Sorry. Yeah. Half of the prayer was missing, but God knows, right? <laughs> and uh, thank you, Henry, for bringing uh, the, uh, the, the basic review of what Chris has, has, has said. And, and I want to thank also the worship team for just those beautiful songs this morning of reminding us of just who it is that we worship, and this is the one that we come to, and this, it just brought me to my knees, uh, well, spiritually, I should say, because I wasn't on my knees, but, but in any case, and I also just want to also thank my wife, I really do, Margo, many of you know her, for being a sounding board this week uh, for all of these things, because this is not uh, normal for me to be up here, but I hate it when we get to... Um, have lots of intro, and then we, do, we don't get to the main passage, and so we're going to get right to it. So I'm going to be reading uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and then a little bit of the end of uh, 1 Corinthians 12, which actually goes with it. And I'm reading from the uh, North Idaho version, the NIV, but you're going to be seeing up here, hopefully, uh, there'll be the ESV, I believe. But in our small group at home, we, um, we, we typically um, have, everybody has a different version and uh, what's really good about that is that uh, we get a, a fullness to really what the Word is saying. And so it's kind of good. So as I read and you don't see those words up there, relax. Just soak in what God is teaching you through those various versions, okay? So anyway, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, starting with verse 21, uh, 31, I'm sorry. Now eagerly desire the, greatest, the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, 
but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I give my, over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what in part disappears? When I was a child, I talked like a child and I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, I read the whole passage, and I'm sure many of you have heard this before, particularly at weddings. How many, just a show of hands, how many of you have heard this either at your wedding or some friend's wedding? Come on. I know. There you go. So, um, and to tell you the truth, it's not bad. It's a, it's a good thing. It's a good uh, uh, thing to emulate uh, for husbands and wives and spouses to do these kinds of things and to have this kind of love toward each other. Um, but whenever I hear this passage in that context, or when I hear it, period, sometimes, the problem is, is that I, I, I feel so inadequate. I feel, here's the love, here's the perfect love. I do not have this. I just, I just um, ask my wife. She knows many times I don't have this. So, as, uh, and then I, I feel this burden to try, to do, to, to achieve, to emulate. Um, but that's the problem. Um, and it was the problem with the Israelites all through the Old Testament. There's myriads of stories that I, I won't go into, but there's, they've tried, they failed, God redeemed, God brought back. And even in my testimony when I was younger, um, college, beginning college, I tried hard living in the, uh, I was in the Southern California area. Not that that's bad, but I'm just saying uh, I was trying to live what my parents who were Christians um, and, to, and to be the, the, the son that they wanted me to be, but I was always just drifting towards my friends and doing the, doing the party life and doing the things that I, I, I didn't really want to do. And that struggle, you know, you do what you don't want to do. And so I tried and failed and tried and failed. And then finally, God brought me to the end of my rope at a Christian camp. I believe it was Hume Lake. There's some people with Hume Lake here. Uh, and it was just... Uh, coming to the realization, God, I can't do it. I want to please. Here's my life. And so he changed me at that point. Change my page here. I want to talk about the, the context of this. This, this passage, um, what talk, Paul is talking about, we got to think it's not 1 Corinthians chapter 13 all by itself. It was, it was not written in chapters. There were, no, there were no verses or chapters at the time. It was a letter and a thing that Paul wanted to express to the Corinthians. 
And so if we look at that and we look way back and well, not way back, but chapter 12, he's, he's talking about these gifts. He's talking about how the Holy Spirit distributed them to everybody. And those who call Jesus Lord, that's only by the Spirit, he says in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Only the Holy Spirit reveals that to you. So if you name Jesus as Lord, you're, you're one of the body. And he's distributed gifts, whether you like it or not. He's, you, you've got them. And... The problem is, is that the, at that time, the Corinthians were somehow disjointed. Even back in chapter 11, he kind of rebukes them for the ways that they're eating together. And so they're not really understanding what is happening. I mean, they're not understanding what the intention of the body is. I'm just going to go back and read a few things from First uh, Corinthians 12. It's he says, uh, if now the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, do I, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't be for that reason. It wouldn't stop being part of the body for that reason. In 18, he says, but God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those, body, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And then finally, it says, But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that the parts should have equal concern for one another. This is the thing. It's not as if, you know, someone speaking up on stage is any better than the person who put, set up the chairs or the person who is working in the children's department. All of these things are so essential, and we need to understand that this is the body. This is the thing that uh, God intended from the beginning. And if one part suffers, we all suffer. If one part's honored, we should honor them all. He ends the chapter by saying, in verse 31, I believe it was, love is the one glue that holds all of this together. It makes everything work. I, uh, I typically, I like to do projects at home and I like to make things sometimes and I try it on, on myself, but, uh, but by myself, but uh, if I did not use glue or screws or things to hold those things together, those that carpentry projects, uh, sit down, use them, sit on them, swing on them, do whatever, lay on them as a bed, whatever, they'd fall apart. Of course, there's some carpenters that can do that, got great joints and all of that stuff. But glue is the thing that actually holds all of this together. It's an interesting uh, metaphor for this. So the point that Paul is trying to address among the Corinthians here is that we need each other no matter what the gifts. We belong, they belong as well. And divisions and jealousies and I want that or I don't need them doesn't belong in the body of Christ. And in John, um, Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So let's look at the main word here, love. I know many of you have heard this before, um, the, love, the love word, agape. Well, I've learned one thing about this, but first of all, it's not I love pizza. I love it when you scratch my back or I love you romantically even. The word agape, and I'm not a Greek fluent speaker by any means, 
So this is not necessarily the pronunciation. But it comes from the root word agapao, and it means, from Strong's Concordance, it means affection, goodwill, benevolence, brotherly love, to welcome, to entertain, to love dearly. And it's used many times, believe it or not, in the Song of Solomon. This is the love that he's referring to, which is a hard book for me to read. It's a romantic book, but it's, it's about something deeper than that. And where am I? Okay, 1 Corinthians 11. Oh, uh, before that, the plural of this word, agapae, believe it or not, it is referring to love feasts. They use this word many times in the early church. And these love feasts were things where Christians, they had it before communion. The rich provided all of the food, the tables, the accoutrements, the things that they needed for those feasts. They invited with the poor. The poor ate with them. They had fellowship together. They had a shared experience. And this was happening before communion. And as you remember, in 1 Corinthians 11, this is what Paul actually rebuked them for. These feasts had degenerated into things where they were sitting at separate tables. They were doing things that uh, the poor, some went hungry, some people were drunk even. And they just turned into these things that it wasn't intended. In addition to this, um, the Corinthians were apparently exercising gifts without um, the glue or the love that was intended. Jesus touched on this as well, and this is a difficult passage to hear, but this is back in Matthew 7, and he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And I, there's many parts of this that I don't understand and I'm not going to uh, claim to, to understand. But I do know that it is a serious thing to exercise the gifts of God. And it's a serious thing to do the will of the Father. And I think that's the main point. And what is the will of the Father? Well, we know this from other places in Matthew. A, t uh, a Pharisee came up to him and he said, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. And then another place, John says, well, not John, but actually Jesus through John. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we know we need to love first God and then our neighbors. So should we try to emulate it? There's, there's, there's validity in trying to emulate and trying to do things. But in my understanding of my own experience, there's no way that I could do it. It's only done by the work of the Holy Spirit. So how does one let the Spirit of God do this in oneself? As was said before, I think Chris said this, but it's not God. Give me more of your spirit. Rather, it's the other way around. God, here is more of me. 
So it's giving ourselves to him completely, and then he does the work in us. So why should I give myself to him? Uh, Basically, let's look at the passage a little bit more closely. It's because of who he is. Remember uh, John said, God is love? In 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. So if you take that element, let's, let's, let's put that into the equation of this, this, this chapter. I'm going to reread this and just listen carefully and think about this. Just the first part. God is patient. He is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-serving. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. He always protects. He always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that the worship team in the beginning, I'm just going, wow, you are great, Lord. Can't focus on me. We worship him. No matter how many times we wake up in the morning, we, f- we don't feel close to him. Does that mean he's changed? Not at all. He's still the same. And then other verses, I don't know if they have these here, but I believe Romans 8.35, another famous passage about God's love and how, how much we are just entwined with him. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness or sword? As it's written, for your sake we, uh, for your sake we f- uh, face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And no, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, and neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just earlier, just before that, in verse 31, he also says, So what, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other other words, forgive my voice, if God is for us, and this is the kind of love he offers us, why would we not give ourselves to him, every bit of ourselves? He's the creator of life, the master planner, the savior, the one who holds us in the palm of 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 his hand. But there are objections, some might say, you know. They might say, oh, well, I've got things to do, places to be, fun to be had. He's just going to put a damper on my plans. Well, yes, you're right. He will. But that's the whole point. Me as a carpenter, when I make things, they're okay at best. I'll go to YouTube, and I'm so thankful for the YouTube people that have the time and energy to put all these things together and tell you how to do things. Um, And when I try it by myself, 
I usually am lacking some steps. But once I take a look at the master crafting of people who have gone before me, have done these things, and I, I say to myself, man, I would have saved myself so much trouble and heartache had I not, you know, if I had gone to them first. Just think of God. He is the one who created life. He knows the beginning from the end. And as I said, he holds us in the palm of our, his hand. He's the one who knows. He's the, the master YouTube maker. So how much more will he do if we give, uh, give ourselves to him? And the outcome, um, if we do, how does this relate to the love in 1 Corinthians 13? Well, remember later down, down in, the, in the chapter, he says in verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And in 1 John 3, 2, and he intertwines this knowing God and loving others so much in, in this chapter. It's called, he says, Dear friends, we are now children of God, and what, will, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And I don't believe that this is just talking about the end of times in the final age. We have the Holy Spirit in us now. We are slow, he is slowly transforming us, and as we spend time with him, we become like him. And uh, going back to Henry's verse, uh, actually just before that, just remember Moses too, that Moses was the friend of God, and he spent time with him, and he had to wear a veil on his face because of the just the, the glory of God shown through his face. And that's what can happen to us as well. It does happen to us. And I want to go back to Henry's verse. He said, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal possession and uses us to spread the aroma and the knowledge of him everywhere. That's exactly what he will do. As we draw close to him, he will do that in us. So that's how this love comes about, by going to him. That's the only effort that he asks us to do, draw near to him. He will do the rest. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and give you some concluding points here. Number one, we know that we need to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We know that we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. We have the variety of gifts, but the same Lord. We know that he scattered the gifts among us, and they are useless unless we participate as one body, loving and valuing each gift. I'm going to ask you to put up 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. This kind of concludes. It's a, it's a nice verse that really wraps this up. But in verse 7, he says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober of mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. 
and to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. He's offered us, offered himself to us, and he demonstrated all of these points of love in the offering of his son in our stead. So let's give ourselves completely to him because of what he did. We're going to have communion right now, and, I, and this would be a great place to start this giving of ourselves to him, realizing what he did and what he, what he is to us. Now, for communion, we do not have the agapae, the love feasts yet. We may someday before communion, we might have those. And hopefully we don't degenerate into what the Corinthians did. We've got stations around the auditorium here. And to pick up, come when you're ready, to pick up the wafer and the juice. They're stacked together, so you just pick up one and, and take it back to your seat. And this, these represent the body and blood of Christ that was shed for us. We leave it up to the parents to decide if your children are ready to participate. And I'm going to read from the earlier passage that I mentioned in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that you are the one who does it all. You are the one who distributes gifts freely. You are the one who shed uh, your, your own blood, your own, gave your own body on the cross for us, demonstrated the love so clearly and deeply, Lord. There's nothing that we can give back to replace or do this other than our lives to just fully give them to you. Father, we, we just repent. We ask your forgiveness for trying it on ourselves, by, by, on our own. And Lord, we, we want you to be in us, filling us, doing the things that you do. Father, thank you so much. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.